Hello, and welcome to Unsheathed with your hosts, Kyle Gold and Cam Hirosaki. We hope that you enjoy the program. Please stick around afterwards. There'll be cake and blowjobs. Hi, welcome to Unsheathed episode 17. I am Kyle Gold. I am Cam Hirosaki. And I'm very pleased that we've made it all the way to 17. 17 is one of my favorite numbers, going back to my early days reading The Phantom Tollbooth, when uh, the humbug, if you remember him, would mm, okay. automatically, when posed any problem, just shout the number, 17! And that was his answer. I haven't read that book since elementary school. Uh, I, I always loved 17. Whenever anyone asks me something now, I always just say, 17, if I don't know the answer. My, my, and sometimes if I do. My number is 87. Whenever wow. I need a random number to pick up, it's always 87. That's interesting. Yeah. That's Reggie Wayne's number. I was, gonna, I was just going to say it has nothing to do with football. <laughs> <laughs> and you went right there. Well, it's Sunday night. We've been kind of immersed in football for about 10 hours. It was a bad football week for me this week. It has, uh, yeah, the, the season has been very interesting so far. It really has. Yeah. But. At any rate, uh, we're here to answer your questions. We're going to talk a little bit about the holidays coming up, yep. because it is middle of November, and uh, we're going to give you an update on our NaNoWriMo listeners, and uh, I don't know, we'll talk about whatever else we think of to talk about in the next half hour. Based on what I know that some of the questions are asking, I think I have a few good jumping off points that I have in mind, but I'll save those. Oh, we should talk a little bit about Midwest Fur Fest, too, because uh, yes. we will be doing some stuff there. So if anyone's listening and is going to be there, we will let you know where to go. Stay tuned. That's true. So our first question is about science fiction. We had uh, done our horror show and had talked about uh, devoting some shows to other genres, and somebody wrote in with science fiction question, but we didn't get any more. So instead of waiting, we're going to just go ahead and talk about it now. This is Dear Kyle Golden, KM Hirosaki. I had a few questions on writing science fiction that I thought might be interesting for you to consider. First is a question on dialogue, or perhaps underlying culture. Say a furry comes across another group of furries and humans who shoot at him. Would it be too jarring for him to shout, Don't shoot, I'm human! Or is it necessary for him to shout an alternate like, Don't shoot, I'm Terran! Is there a perfect way for a furry to identify himself? Or is it completely determined by the underlying culture in the story? As a second question, when writing a science fiction story, is it important to explain the hows and whys of technology, or is that something you can simply gloss over? I realize that it is important to maintain internal consistency within the story, what I'm not sure of is the requirement for explanation. Is it enough to talk about what something does, or is the average reader going to want at least a minor explanation? I thank you both for your time and help. Sincerely, Jarolon, occasional writer, Fox. <laughs> You're never going to let that go, man. Uh, you know, all I'm saying is that's how old this message is. Speaking of science fiction-y topics like mad scientist sticking your transformative something or other right speaking of explaining well, how things work i mean i was i was a science fiction fan before i was a furry fan so yeah I me too thought about this a lot uh and in terms of the first question how would a furry identify himself to another group of furries or humans um i 
I, I think it would depend more on the culture. Like, yeah. Based on what he says, I mean, it's a matter of making sure that you're – it depends on what the self-identifying you know, thing is going to be when it comes to like in-group and out-group. I guess what he's, what he's posing is um, there's furries that are part of the human society, but then there's also furries that are part of an alien society. And so what he's trying to say is how would a furry identify himself as being part of one or the other? And just because if he – or if he's in a suit and they can't, identi- they can't recognize him, like in that case, a, hum- a human which in a science fiction novel would shout, hey, don't shoot, I'm human. Um, so it's just whatever. Um, I mean, are both humans and furries from Earth in right. this case? I, it would be just, I think, whatever, wherever they come from. Yeah. I mean, like, in a, if, you, if you take the case of a war. Right. If, you know, an American soldier's in Iraq and is separated from his unit and he sees some of his soldiers, as he's approaching them, he doesn't say, don't shoot, I'm human. Yeah. He says, don't shoot, I'm American. Yeah, I was going to say, like, you know, like, if I were to go on a vacation to Europe, I would tell people I was American. Whereas, you know, if I was in, you know, outer space on a different planet, I would tell people I'm from Earth, as opposed I, and, to, you know, I'm from America. I'm not quite so jingoistic as right. to represent <laughs> myself to an alien species as being American. And, and it is I now, bet that makes Glenn Beck cry. It is now okay to be American in Europe again. You don't have to tell people you're Canadian. Thank, thank you for the uh, year of global PR, Mr. Obama. <laughs> um, so for the second question, this is a whole big thing with science fiction. And I was talking to a friend recently. Was this you who was saying you get one gimme? No, it wasn't. No, it wasn't it was, me. It was foosball, actually. Oh, okay. But he said you get one gimme in science fiction. So general in, in most science fiction, there's a premise. The premise of the book is how would society be different if technology had advanced to a certain point or if a certain discovery had been made, um, if we were able to go faster than light or if we were able to teleport, um, the Larry Niven flash crowd, right. or if, to stick with Niven, if the sun went nova but it was nighttime where you were, what you would see was the moon getting super bright, but you wouldn't know, you wouldn't experience it right away because you wouldn't, feel the force of it until right. later. So how would people react to that? Um, so generally you get one piece of technology that you can gloss over. You don't have to explain how it works. You just say humanity invented a faster than light drive by the, you know, stick Einstein or Newton or someone yeah. in there and, and add a made up name like the Kurtzman Einstein principle allowed people to generate starship drives that um, broke the faster than light barrier by uh, I don't know something the, yeah. the matter energy distinctions and you know the ship became pure energy for the duration of the voyage and people are just like well what the hell and you're like yeah it's science fiction I, you know doesn't matter how that works what matters is the effect that it had um that said, a lot of science fiction is written specifically with the audience of people in mind that want to hear more about science. Right. And the one book I've read of Neil Stevenson was Snow Crash, was very much in that vein, mm-hmm. where he 
wanted to explain all of his pseudoscience and go into great detail. And that's there's a certain group of people that really like that. I think I'm going to disagree with the notion that you get one piece of technology that you don't have to explain and then the rest you do. I think that depends more on if you're writing hard sci-fi or not so hard sci-fi. I mean, if you look at even if you look at something, you know, like Battlestar Galactica, which is definitely science fiction, but they never actually go into a description on how anything actually works. It's just endemic to the setting and No, but the gimme in Battlestar Galactica is there's this civilization. That's that's your thing you don't have to explain. You don't have to explain okay. where did they come from. And the technology is all sort of just like, you know, there's a civilization and this is how they live. Um so it it doesn't have okay. to be a piece of technology. I guess I'm yeah, I guess I was misinterpreting the scope of the gimme here. Well, and for a lot of furry fiction, you can consider it science fiction and just say furries are the gimme. You know, you don't have to explain how yeah. they came about. The question is, how is society different? With I wish these... more. I wish more stories uh, adhered to that. Yes, I agree. Yeah, wasn't that like our pet peeve number three or four? It was one of them. It was certainly on the list. Right. Um. But no, I think that the detail. He says, like, how much detail should you go into? I think that if the workings of the technology are important to the story, or if it matters for you know some sort of plot point later, like if there's some sort of mystery element where solving the mystery relies on you know the inner workings of it then yes you should probably see that earlier in the story but you know if somebody's using their you know food replicator or something i don't think you need a two-page description on how this thing takes matter and produces food all you need right. to know is that yeah it takes up and makes food for you done like end of you don't need to go in the yeah and that's sort of the same rule that applies to any piece of writing which is you include the details that are necessary to the story. Yeah. And in science fiction, mostly what people are doing is saying, if we were able to produce this one piece of technology, if we were in this one situation where we encountered an alien race that was all made up of big bugs that hated us, you know, if we found this artifact that allowed us to travel instantly to mysterious destinations. Um, if aliens visited Earth and they looked like the devil. <laughs> If a scientist invented a machine that allowed him to see people's lifelines, you know, what effect would that discovery have or what problems would it raise or what problems would it solve? They would be the problem solvers. <laughs> you beat me to it. I hate you again. <laughs> um, so there you go. That's, I think, in a nutshell, add the detail that's essential to the story. Mm. and. You know, we, we've talked about fantasy a little bit. We should maybe do a whole show on fantasy about world building and yeah. stuff like that. I will add that one caveat that a lot of – there's a lot of fiction out there aimed at people who like to read yeah. the technology, who like to read science, who yeah. like to read that like, kind of like technological world building. David Weber in the Honor Harrington books, they spent a lot of time going into the how and the why – of all of the technology, but it's also military fiction. And so right. the setup for, you know, the naval engagements that take place depend, like the, your understanding of that depends on understanding the technology behind it. Well, and I was going to say like a science fiction version of Tom Clancy. Yeah, there you go. Where he's just pretty much like technology porn <laughs> in a sense. Yes. There's gun porn and, uh the worst kind of porn. 
one? Yes. So our second question here for the week, this comes from uh, from Earth Digger, a recent listener to our podcast. He says, well, I started... It was recent at the time of the message. It's a little old now. Uh, but... It's a couple weeks old. <laughs> but he says, I started listening after Rainforest and was actually one of the people in the audience. I'm the guy who asked about using technical terms. And yes, I remember you. Uh, I'd like to start by saying that I love the podcast. Thank you very much. I started listening expecting a podcast full of dirty jokes that I might be able to learn something about writing from, and instead was pleasantly surprised to find that the writing tips cover the majority of the show. Now I have both a comment and a question. On the topic of, is furry a fetish? Which, uh, for the readers who might not, or listeners who might not be familiar with that, uh, we covered that a few weeks ago when we had Flane on the uh, on the show. Flane has left the Bay Area, which makes us a little bit sad. Yes, he's no longer a uh, unwilling prisoner in our mountain bunker, oil tanker. I don't wherever think he was. Are. I don't think he was that unwilling. It just took him a few minutes to get used to wine instead of beer. Well, we had beer that night too. No, we did have beer. We were goofy enough, so anyway. Anyway. Uh, so on the topic of is furry a fetish, I have to say I do not believe it to be the case. I believe it to be an obsession. A fetish implies that it's purely a sexual desire that most furries have, but I've instead found the case to be that most furries just like everything better when it's furry. So, of course, porn is one such thing improved. It's my belief that quite a lot of furries, if not most furries are turned on equally by humans as they are furry characters. It's just that the non-humans are more interesting and aesthetically pleasing. So actually, he gets into a question here, but I, I want to address this first because I think it, it's its own conversation and I don't want to lose it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I, I will agree that I have a degree of obsession with furry and furry characters, although I'm going to disagree that I'm equally turned on by humans as yeah, I am by gonna, furry characters. I'm going to disagree on that point yeah, as well. I'm, and I think I actually made the comment during the podcast with Flane that I, I actually don't believe that I have any um, porn of humans on on my computer or anywhere that I keep it. Yeah, if I do, if I have it, it's minimal, and I certainly don't ever bring it up to look at. Well, I should say the only place where it would be is in my browser cache from <laughs> websites I don't intend to go to that have ads. Yeah, that's a good point. But uh, and then it's all girls. Yeah, which, what's up with that? Which I'm also not turned on <laughs> for the most part. Um, we fear... Battlestar Galactica being a a big exception. We we fear boobies. Um, Fear taboobies, yes. But, uh, yeah, and I, I mean, I would agree that it's an obsession with some people, but I would question that that the conclusion that he draws that it's then not a fetish. Yeah. Because I would say it could be a fetish that's just being rechanneled into other areas because it's not possible to walk around in polite society with, you know, pictures of big wolves with erections all over the place. That's true. I think that we also sort of skirt close to the debate of, you know, is furry a genre or is furry a meta genre? And I think that can apply to is furry a fetish or is furry a meta fetish? Because you can certainly take people who are into furries, but then you have people who are into, you know, like baby fur or like, you know, furry bondage. Yeah, you know, furries plus vor, furries plus empreg, that sort of thing. Well, I mean, I, I... I think a lot of these fetishes are combinable. I mean, you can be into bondage and you could be into bondage and um, crap, dom sub play, 
you could be into bondage and not be into dom sub play. That's true. Um, you could be into bondage and food. Although that's bringing up some unpleasant images, so let's move right along there. Yeah, I was just going to say that I've never been too much into bondage just because I think I'm more fun if I can move around. Well, autos are notoriously difficult to pin down anyway, so slippery and all. We get a plus four species bonus to escape artist checks. And a, uh, and... <laughs> breaking kit. Um, My Yuri knows no bounds. And and I also think that they can perform certain actions without external lube. That's also probably very true. We we might You're get sounding to... more and more otterish as we're. Uh huh. <laughs> I just wrote a otter sex scene in a story that's over three thousand words long. I've had otters on the brain for a long time. I've been thinking about quite literally the ins and outs of otters, very. And, and then we just, and that segues greatly into her and then, sticker's question. And then, and then we just read a whole story about an otter getting in and outed. Yes. Well, he certainly got inned. Yeah. All right, go on to the rest of the question. But yes, oddly enough, that's in contrast to my question. The topic of getting anatomy right amongst various species was brought up at the Rainforest panel, and I have to wonder, what is a good way to get information on animal anatomy, besides, of course, the obvious methods that are likely to get me mauled, put in prison, and or banned from the zoo for life? <laughs> so I do want to say, which I believe I, I also... I love his choices. I know. Well, if, if that's the wheel you're spinning, then I think you need to find a different wheel. Um, I know I mentioned this at the Rainforest panel, but just to go on record... I really think that if you're writing furry fiction and or drawing furry art, there is no right, quote-unquote, and I made air quotes right there, um, when it comes to anatomy. If you don't want your characters to have, you know, animal genitalia, they don't have to. There's no furry erotica police that are going to throw you in furry porn jail if your characters don't have, you know, sheaths and knots. I should say there are furry erotica police but they don't really have any authority over you. That's I've had, true. I've had people come up to me and say, wow, you know, the, this, your characters don't have fully animal genitalia and made that remark. And I'm like, yeah, they don't. And that was that. It's like, you know what? They don't have fully animal anatomy in any other respect either. They have opposable thumbs and can speak language and wear clothes. Right. Animals don't do. Which, which is amusing. Kind of, goes back to the whole concept of you get one gimme yeah it's like a lot of people will accept the fact that you can have a furry species evolved to humanoid walk and talk like humans and suck dick like humans and whatever else even though they have teeth you know 44 pointy teeth um humans have 32 fairly pointy teeth also so it's not that big a stretch but that parenthetic that was from a website where people were like have you seen a fox's mouth and all those teeth in there? How, you know, why would you ever put anything in that mouth? And I thought, have you seen a human's mouth? I yeah. Mean, we have lots of teeth, too. And, you know, foxes can open their jaws pretty wide. Yeah. and Not as wide as thylacines, I'm told. Yeah. But. Oh, as I've seen in pictures. Also, a human bite can do a lot of damage. Uh-huh. Have you seen pictures of, like, people who have been bitten by other people? Like, the marks and the gashes you can leave i actually intentionally make an effort to avoid such pictures uh yeah but that does segue into my answer to his question which is the internet is your friend it's also your enemy but it is your friend now if you cannot find 
pictures of the specific animal genitals you're looking for on the internet, then you need to go to let me Google that for you because yeah. they're out there. Yeah, and you know what? You can even find it in a not... I, I think he's... <laughs> wow. That was a great word to stumble on, wasn't it? You can find it around a knot. You, you can. So there are... If you're worried about scouring the net for getting in trouble for like coming across like bestiality related web pages or something, which I think is a legitimate concern, I know for a fact that there are like veterinary websites that cover this sort of thing. Yeah, and, and you know Wikipedia, and there's academic yeah. institutions that have pictures of whatever yeah. or have descriptions. And I mean, really, if you want to, you can also go to some of the more zoophile oriented toy manufacturers and yeah they take great pride in getting their toys pretty true to life yeah so. if if you look at uh if you go to the places I, that make furry sex toys those are pretty anatomically true to real animals and uh you can check with folks over at notcast for some specific recommendations for toy manufacturers because i believe they have done extensive research into them They've really plunged into those depths, as it were. Um, Plus, I I mean, you can also look at... There's a lot of artists that produce fandom artwork that certainly do this sort of thing as well. Granted, if you're not familiar with the base animal genital look, you might not be able to tell just from looking how half human hybrid is this or not well but it's it's worth posting on fa to the artist and saying where do you get your references that's true i mean i mean there's a whole community of people out there that are interested in what animal genitals look like and (laughs) they will be happy to tell you probably more than you want to know this is when I'm almost glad we don't have an unsheathed forum. Because I'd be afraid of how people would post, oh, if you want to see dog dick, here's where you go. Bam. And then just proverbially slap it right out there. Yes. But now I'm just remembering this one conversation I had on Furry Muck years ago. And then somebody just chimed in and just said, I'm amazed at how furries will go to such extreme efforts to anthropomorphize everything about their character except for their penis. And when you think about it that way, it is kind of silly. But yeah. yeah, and that's why I think, I don't remember if I finished my thought, but the whole fact that you get this gimme in the story where, you know, we've accepted this, that this animal's evolved to this stage, but we can't accept that their genitals look even the tiniest bit different from the animals that we're accustomed to seeing yeah i mean it, it's funny how people separate that which i i think this falls under his previous comment about this being an obsession and i think that some people are but, obsessively motivated yes but the fact that it is the sexual component that people particularly obsess over makes me kind of go back to it being a fetish that's true and but, honestly i think that oh go, go on I, I i was going to conclude and move on but Finish well, up. no, I was going to say, I think, Bring that us home. I think that there's a definite focus on, quote-unquote, anatomical correctness um, when it comes specifically to canid genitalia. I think people are far less sticklers when it comes to felines. and The people that yeah. are fans of those animals, though, they are sticklers. Yeah, but I think that fandom on the whole, people are like, oh yeah, like, I'm okay with knots and sheaths, but not with barbs, because that wouldn't be cool. Yeah. 
Which, I mean, I'll be honest, I would... All right, hypothetical situation, if there were, in fact, an anthropomorphic canine creature that had a knotted penis, I would be okay with that more than I would be with something that had barbs. Well, you realize that the barbs aren't actually pointed pieces of metal that dig into your flesh, right? No, no, I I know. Okay. (laughs) Just checking. I've, I've... I went to school for biology, too. <laughs> no, so my question to you was, um, is it possible to make quote-unquote air quotes? Yeah, go for it. <laughs> That's all, because you were making air quotes and saying quote-unquote, and I thought, are you making quote-unquote air quotes? I think I was um, making the verbal experience to sort of augment the physical gestures I was making that the users don't get to see. But which they will get to see, um, hopefully live. We have um, two conventions coming up. I'm still waiting to hear from uh, further confusion. We're hoping that we'll be able to do a live show there. Um, Furry Fiesta has already agreed to let us do a live show there. Yeah, I need to figure out if I can make it to Furry Fiesta, actually. If not, we'll have to Skype you in, and that would be uh, yeah pretty sad. I will be putting every effort into going. All right. Even if I have to fly in on Friday night. Um, so, but more about that as the, the things come up. And uh, But while we're on the subject of conventions, um, we will be leaving for Midwest Fur Fest later this week, probably right around the time this gets posted. It could not come too soon. And uh, we will be doing a couple of events there. I think I will be... I think actually I've confirmed I will be doing the reading at the Sof Wolf preview on Friday afternoon at 3. And I've talked to Sof Wolf about doing a sign-in at their table immediately following that to kind of... Anyone who comes to the preview just kind of, you know, follow us back to the dealer's room and we'll sit down and sign some books. Um, also, at the preview reading, we're hoping to give away a special mystery prize that we'll be bringing to the convention. I know what it is. And I'm not quite sure how we're going to do it, but the more you know about Yolan's journal on yolan.livejournal.com, and the upcoming book, Shadow of the Father, the better your chances are of getting it, I would say. Yeah, and I don't think I have any official signings pegged for anything, but if you run into me at the con and you have something that I've written that you want me to sign, I'll certainly sign it for you. Uh, I know they'll be selling copies of X there, so we might send some people your way to track you down for that. Yeah, and I mean... Oh, that, that's a good point. I am also, I am finally entwittered. Uh-huh. I have been in, in Twitter dated. Uh, I'll probably be sending out uh, Twitter updates while I'm at the convention if there's any place that I'll be where people will be free to come and mingle. Uh, just Cam Hirasaki, all one username. No funny dashes Punctu- or anything on punctuation. that. Punctuation. Uh, I'm also on Twitter and I'll be posting some stuff to that. Um, we're going to try to do an unsheathed, but it will be in a unofficial area. Right now we are thinking we're not going to be able to have a sort of unlimited audience for it. So it may just be up in a hotel room somewhere. Sorry about that, but 
hopefully at some point in the future we'll be able to do something bigger at least maybe somebody can pull the fire alarm again and we can do it outside in the freezing cold wheeling air i was just thinking we could do it outside but uh hopefully you know maybe it'll be warm that would uh looking at the weather for the coming week it doesn't look like it's going to be all right it looks like it's going to be getting colder well keep an eye on our twitter accounts i'm kyle gold all one word and um we will definitely post if anything changes about that we'll try to give you you know at least an hour's notice uh, we have a quick NaNoWriMo, actually two NaNoWriMo updates. Um, this one is from Condrell. He says, if there's going to be some public name and shame for the month's event, I might as well make it official to keep me honest and pen a wiggling. I'm working on a project that's got a working name of Eon Machine. I've given it a bit of skeletal structure before NaNoWriMo started so I can keep my thoughts organized. So far, I'm about 2,000 words in, and with the free time I'll have this week, I plan to pick up the pace so I can meet the demands of the month. This was uh, November 3rd, so he's hopefully a little further in by now. Um, so he's talking... He actually has a question as well. And we may... Uh, I'm, I'm going to read it, but we may want to come back to it, because I think we're going to run a little over our time. Okay. He says, I hear often about characters or plot points developing organically, and I just can't seem to wrap my head around quite what you mean. Like one of the people you'd mentioned, I dream and think and envision the story in my head for ages before pen meets the proverbial paper. For someone like me, how can you describe characters writing themselves out of your control? Furthermore, is there some way you'd suggest letting go of a story of mine so I can try to let it write itself? Even if the results are atrocious, and since it's something I've never tried, I imagine it might be, it's something I'd like to try. You know, I guess the thing is, is where he's talking about, you know, oh, you already know what you want the character to do. Most of the time, when you get to that point of the story, that is what they end up doing. It's just, I think every so often you get there and you're looking at the scene and go, now that I know what's come between, you know, point A and point, you know, F, now that I'm at point G, I don't think that's what they do. Yeah, I'm... I think my my short answer, and I I do believe we'll pick this up again in a future episode, but my short answer is I don't think you need to worry so much about it. I think that you're going through that process in your head, yeah. and the way that you write is not conducive to that happening. Yeah, I think when that happens, it's people that have not figured out everything completely, but they're going, and this is what I do a lot of the time, is I figure it out up to a certain point, and then as I'm writing it, the way I'm imagining the character's behaving tells me what to write next yeah and you're doing that all in your head before you get anything down on the computer at all so i wouldn't stress about it yeah like when it comes to short stories i almost never know how they're going to end when i start them i mean if you want to try it then i would say give yourself a situation and just sit down and start writing yeah and see what comes out don't sit there for months planning in your head yeah. Um, we have one more NaNoWriMo note, and this is from Kite Phoenix. That was actually from Kite Phoenix about two weeks ago, so I apologize for the lateness, but I think he got it in right after we recorded the previous the, the two weeks ago show. And he says, so I have put this on my FA and LJ, but I figure if you guys throw this out there, the response might get rather interesting. Uh, his FA, by the way, is K-Y-T-E-P-H-E-O-N-I-X. 
He says, I'm attempting this whole 50,000-word thing, but for some reason I decided to make my life more difficult, so I invite the both of you to throw something into the ring, so to speak. And he does say so to speak, so that is in... As it were. As it were. Uh, Basically, I have my idea for my novel, but I want to make it more difficult. So I'm asking you and your listeners to either drop a character into my novel or an idea or an item, anything that really strikes your fancy. No matter what it is, I will manage to work it into my project somehow in a hopefully non-corny fashion. For all those fellow authors out there insane enough to try this, good luck, Kite Phoenix. So You want to make your writing more difficult on purpose? Wow, you are a masochist. uh Uh-huh. So Hirozaki-san and I are going to give you a character and an item. If anyone else wants to chime in, again, uh, send them a private message on FA at K-Y-T-E-P-H-E-O-N-I-X. So yeah, the character idea I came up with, I was just sort of going through things in you know, my head. And I, I, I came up with sort of the mental image of this, uh, you know, Fennec Fox airplane mechanic. I like that one. Yeah. I was going to think of a name, but I don't know the setting. So I don't know if I, if I come up with a specific ethnicity for a name, it's just not going to fit at all. And I don't want to be too mean. But yeah, I just sort of have this image of this, you know, Fennec Fox with the sort of, you know, the jumpsuit that's all you know covered in like oil and whatnot sort of working in this airplane hangar so what's funny is the the idea i had for an item is kind of really in opposition to that however it belongs in sort of the same time period yeah which is interesting yeah i was thinking a silver hand mirror Ooh, okay with an emerald inset at the top of it i think we're getting very like sort of like uh Indiana Jones-ish. Sort yeah, of it's kind point. of that, yeah. that time period. So there you go, Kite Phoenix. A Fennec Fox airplane mechanic and a silver ornate hand mirror with an emerald in it set at the top of the frame. Yeah. Maybe he's, you know, airplane mechanic by day, fabulous drag queen by night. Maybe. I was just thinking <laughs> he finds the hand mirror in a piece of luggage on his plane and it's dropped by a passenger and he has to track down the mysterious lady who would never look twice at an airplane mechanic. But it's really a guy in drag. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm, I, I, I am not obsessed with guys in drag. I just did. I think of the one piece of like period sort of science, period fiction thing I've done, which was my Lovecraft takeoff, which is all about the investigating the murder of a drag queen. Well, I did have that one story that I was supposed to write about the coyote who was supposed to dress up in drag as a southern belle. Oh my god, I remember that. I never wrote it. What happened? Yeah, what happened? They just never wrote it? I just never wrote it. Was I partly responsible for that? Yeah, it was you and um, Cario, I think. Oh, okay, right. That's... Anyway. Um, So, I think we're actually... If people are wondering where do we get ideas for our stories from, wherever. And this is a perfect example of that. Um, So, the last thing we were going to talk about was the holiday stuff, but we're running real short on time. Um, I'll just say we... We've both written some holiday stories, mm-hmm. and holidays are a great source of conflict, which is, conflict is a great yes fundam- fundamental ingredient of a story. And so, man, when you get families together, people who haven't seen each other in years, and people have all these old arguments and feuds buried under the surface coming to, coming to light, um, you know, that's what the holidays are all about. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Sounds so like my holidays. Send send in some more, send in some of your holiday questions or stories or experiences, and 
at some point before Christmas, we'll do an episode. Yeah. And <laughs> I'm just thinking of, you know, take unstable relatives at eggnog, watch fireworks occur. Uh, again, the email is unsheathedpodcast at gmail.com. We're also unsheathed at FA, although if you send us a note on FA, it more or less gets copied over to the Gmail account, so you might as well just send it there if you can. Cut out the middleman. Um, we will be at MFF in various locations in scenic Wheeling, Chicago, this coming weekend. If you've never been to Wheeling, it's not actually that scenic at all. <laughs> yeah, well. Unless you like seeing dead trees and wasteland. And pancake houses. There's like four of them there. Yeah. But anyway, we will uh, wrap up episode 17, which I think has lived up to my favorite number, Billin. Yeah, I think we had, a, we had, some, we had some good talk this time. And uh, I'm Kyle Gold. I'm Cam Hirasaki. Looking forward to vacation. And looking forward to meeting all of y'all in person at 